Sorry, check, check. Okay. Welcome to the Royale Political Wire. This is Stephen Smith. I am the owner of the Royale down here on South Kings Highway. And uh, this is a, a podcast that we do well, once every couple few weeks. I am joined today by our regular hosts, Michael Allen and Maureen Hanlon, and a, another uh, guest host here, uh, Darian Wigfall. And then we have our very special guest over here. We've got, of course, Jason Rosenbaum of KWMU. I'm a big fanboy of his show, uh, Politically Speaking. And uh, uh, thank you, Jason, for having such a cool show. Well, well thank you for uh, letting me come to your establishment when I'm, whenever I'm, uh, I have a day off. Awesome. awesome. Right now, Ed, I'm a big fan of Jason Rosenbaum, emotionally speaking. <laughs> well, well, I'm a big fan of Michael Allen, emotionally speaking. You've let me talk with you for years about many different things, which has been very helpful to my journalistic endeavors. All right. So awesome. we, we, we just love each other here. A little, little bromance going this on. This is starting Uh-oh. off on a positive note. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Like Don't tell me this country is divided when there's so much <laughs> commonality when, here at our... Round table. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Great. Well, let's, let's well, crack the egg, Maureen. Let's crack <laughs> the egg. So we have, you know, we brainstorm a couple of topics here today, and I'm going to start with something that someone asked me at a Passover Seder this weekend mm-hmm. that I have not stopped thinking about, which is who is really setting the vision right now for our city? Who are the people that are, you know, taking kind of a leadership role in helping us look forward? Um, And I have to confess, I didn't have a ton of great answers drawn from our elected officials personally. That's not to say there's no vision. I just didn't have someone who immediately sprung to my mind. Um, And I think thinking about this, uh, both in a political sense and also who are our kind of cultural leaders. So I'm, I'm going to throw this out to my panelists here. Our panelists. We are all panelists. I'm going to defer to the experts first. I want to see. Oh. That means him. Are you asking me first? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a, I guess it's, it's a, it's, there could be two different answers to this. It could be like which political entity is in charge of both the city and the county and then who is maybe the non-elected people that are driving some of the ideas i guess that michael may be able to speak to b but as far as a goes i think it's pretty clear now that the people that are in charge of both st louis and st louis county are this coalition what i like to call they're, they're largely white politicians who are heavily aligned with organized labor. They do have some African-American politicians as allies, but they're largely white politicians. And I think that they're not necessarily candidate based. They're very much, they're very much goal oriented for certain ideas. So that could all mean making sure that the city and the county are as friendly as possible to organized labor groups, some of which may get contracts for various things i'm not saying that in a bad way per se but there are there have been situations before where people have led the city or the county have not been friendly to labor unions i and i think that also kind of extends to this 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 desire for safe quote-unquote safety and trying to get as much money for for police as possible i i know that those ideas are not popular within the quote-unquote progressive community which is a tag that i really dislike immensely wait why do you dislike it because i think that it provides the connotation that the opponents of the progressives are conservatives when they're not and the people that are within this 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 coalition include people like you know at times scott ogilvie christine ingracia shane Cohn. uh, people who i would not say are conservative but who have decided to align themselves with the, the the powers that be for the because for various reasons right at different times you mean and and you can sometimes also make the argument I mean I'm not making the argument but maybe that the quote unquote progressives may have ideas that may 
may chafe with the idea of progressivism. Again, I'm not making that argument, but some people within that coalition certainly would. So, mm -hmm. so anyways, I'll, I'll let somebody else talk now. I just want to get a little bit of clarification on <clears throat> if uh, the opponents of progressives are not conservatives, who are they? I, I think that they're kind of part of this coalition. Okay. So, again, I don't think that Lyda Krusen is – I can't really describe her ideologically as a conservative. I think I could maybe describe Francis Slade in his earlier iterations as possibly conservative for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think that they're basically a coalition of, of, of very specific interests, and usually it revolves around organized labor, making sure they have the most uh, best foothold. But I don't think that's the only thing. I also think that uh, there are other specific issues within this coalition that they, they strive for. Often at times it's economic development, that, that catch-all that usually means mm -hmm. making sure to uh, maximize commercial opportunities in, in real estate and whatnot. Well, so, and I would argue, well, just one point is that Francis Slay, when he was an alderman and as president of the Board of Aldermen, probably was the Southside politician most closely aligned with the Aldermanic Black Caucus, something people forget. Yes, absolutely. Um, that he actually started on the left of the board, mm -hmm. um, which... Maybe as a <laughs> cautionary tale um, to these young progressives. I, I don't really see a conflict between conservatives and progressives in terms of poli local politics. Mm -hmm. I, I see a more tribal conflict between opposing hegemonic forces, yeah. uh, a sort of an insurgent, younger, and more geographically sort of centered mm -hmm. group. They're mostly South City with some alliances in North County and other parts of the region. But um, and then I see, you know, this this group Jason's describing that Lida Krusen is part of and that some of the younger aldermen like Ogilvy occasionally have voted with. Uh, I, I don't see either camp as particularly visionary. I yeah. think it's mostly a conflict over whose people are getting elected to which offices, who mm -hmm. is going to... <laughs> hold the reins right. of power, and who benefits from that. I, I think this isn't actually very new either. I no. feel like the, these narratives of, well, I, we're the forces of order, and we bring jobs, and we enable wealth right. and prosperity on one hand, and we are the force with new ideas, is the exact same political climate that happened in St. Louis and other places in the 1970s. It's the political culture that bred Vince Shamel, who became mayor, who was one of the progressives, but as mayor became pilloried by African-Americans and leftists mm -hmm. for favoring downtown business and the Central Corridor. Um, so it's like, you know, there's a conver convertibility, and often it's, it, it's more, I think, about attaining the reins of power. And again, you know, on the vision question, it's like, yeah. I, I yeah. feel like a lot of the progressives are opposing the airport privatization, which is a good stance, but have no real ideas for the future of the airport, mm. are somewhat against the county taking an ownership role in the airport. Some of the young progressives are railing against the reduction of the Board of Aldermen that was passed by the voters by a supermajority, which is not even populist, are popular, yeah. but they're going now like trying to push a referendum to go back to keep 28. So then so. who do you see? I mean, is that just a problem in general that there's not that there's not either campus particularly visionary or do you think there's other forces who maybe don't fit quite so neatly into that establishment versus young upstarts that you think do have more vision? I think there's a lot of action outside of politics, so outside of electoral politics. Yeah. yeah. The politics which are not electoral. You yes. Yes. So, so, to, so, who are those voices for you? Like, who do you look to and say that person is saying something really compelling well, about I, our region? I look to journalists sometimes. Oh, I'm I'm so powerful. Yes, mm. and, and but don't call me a wizard. I, th I think I think <laughs> what gets reported and how it gets reported frames the perception yes. of the world. I, I give. A, I think Definitely. the St. Louis American has been on fire, mm -hmm. and often holding even their own favorite candidates' feet to the fire mm. on promises yeah. and pledges in a way that's, that's won them awards that I think is, is they're, all, they're in a very good place. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, balancing concerns for sort of material well-being of people with mm. a political ideology, but also with a sense of realism and a, and a sense of fairness that maybe everybody needs to get kicked in the ass sometimes. Yeah. Um, I look at cultural producers, arts collectives, arts makers, obviously 
far-fetched, <laughs> screwed arts. He's just going around the table listing uh, yeah. names at this point in time. No, no, so. no. No, I think I, I think totally uh, you know Tef Poe, who yeah. who yes. their work embodies a liberatory or emancipatory kind of rhetoric mm. that has nothing to do with elected politics, and you don't see artists in these groups right. out there stumping for candidates, knocking doors. Yeah. They are divorced from that. The Luminary Arts Center is another one. They bring mm. residents in from all over the world to engage issues like land banking and public space and surveillance. Right. Um, you know, across the river, Granite City Art and Design District is, is, has an yeah. oppositional sort of grassroots DIY political ethos. What about you, Darren? Yeah, I was going to say uh, most of the people that I see that actually have a vision for the city are, are not politicians. I mentioned uh, the only elected person that I know personally that I've actually spoken with about it is Rasheen Aldrich. But mm-hmm. like outside of that, I don't see anybody trying to come up with a vision for the city uh, in the political realm. But outside of that, there are a lot of artists that I deal, deal with, like Dee Nichols, um, yeah. that I think, re- and like she and Mallory Nizam, who's moved, but mm-hmm. still has a lot of influence here. Um, people that are part of citizen artists that are t- are talking about how public art can look for mm. the city. And then, you know, I think Bi-State is al- also starting to kind of catch on to, like, placemaking and, and these yeah. ideas of, like, how can the whole system benefit the city as a whole and a vision for moving towards the future um, yeah. and things like that. So I, th- I think that, yeah, most of, the, most of the things that I see that are, or most of the people that I see that are talking about moving the city forward or completely outside of politics. I will say for myself that I think St. Louis ha- is blessed, one could say, to have some some nationally recognized voices on the religious left, as it were. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking nationally, there's obviously Reverend Barber, who's kind of reinitiating the poor the poor person, poor people's campaign, poor persons campaign, poor people's campaign. Um, and you know, here we have Reverend Tracy Blackman and we have, um, Susan Talvey and we have Reverend Stacey Wilskin and we have, you know, I mean, I think that kind of moral call to examine what we can be doing for those among us who have the least is something that I think has, I've felt it here since, Ferguson at least if not before and I think nationally that kind of morality that kind of like religious leftist morality you're hearing it a little more um, but that's kind of something that I think of as being an asset to our city yeah, absolutely I, I've often cited Starsky Wilson's speech that he made right when the Ferguson Commission ended its work as one of the mm-hmm. best political speeches I've ever seen mm-hmm. by anybody yeah. and mm-hmm. he's not an elected official he's right. as you mentioned a, a religious figure who got entangled in the Ferguson Commission right but he basically said and you can google what he actually said was you know, we can spike the football now that we finish this report, but the real work begins of convincing politicians not to just give us lip service, but to actually follow through on the Ferguson Commission report. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it, I think that it kind of foretold that, you know, politicians were going to say, oh, th- these are great ideas, right. but to d- actually implement them is actually hard work. Mm-hmm. And we're, just, you know, right. three yeah. or four years later after Ferguson, right. many of those recommendations have not been implemented. Can, yeah, I don't most think the, f- the vast majority of them have yeah. not right. been implemented. I don't think the five-year Ferguson retrospective is going to make any of us feel <laughs> yeah. too good. No, I, I think on the other side, though, um, the darker side, Mm. The negative side. The negative vision for our city. There, there are people who are visionaries. We're talking a lot about people we agree with or might <laughs> agree with or want to agree with. Right. Developers. But I see developers are out there. Um, you know, the, the framers of Cortex. Mm. Um, you know, Benjamin or uh, Dennis Lauer um, and, and, and Louis Levy and others who are involved in that have, have made something that is mm. extremely influential. Um, the Paul McKee and his project, yeah. like it or not, mm. it's a vision that's still formally supported through ordinance by the city of St. Louis as right. the plan for 1,500 acres of St. Louis, larger than Forest Park. Yeah. Um, right. I think mm-hmm. Rex Sinkfield <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of and Jeff Rainford and the, what they're doing at the airport, yeah. it's a vision. 
They're implementing it. It's yeah. moving forward, yeah. like it or not. I think, you know, and, and, and in a more neutral sense, City Arch River, which, mm. you know, Ballparkville, these, these things are happening. Um, the zoo. The zoo. The zoo's land grabbing. Washington University's becoming a nation state. Mm. I would still, I would argue, <laughs> to, I would argue that if anyone saw the like zoo lobbying day where they, they brought the aldermen in and like every alderman I know had like multiple photos oh. of them just like hugging seals as like one of the most effective, like giving high fives, fives to penguins. And I was yeah. like, if only we all had that kind of lobbying power. And I just want to say, I just wrote about the zoo today and I'm, I have to be careful because I don't want to delve into editorializing. I actually love the St. Louis zoo. My, yeah. my son loves zoo. going there. Right. Um, yeah. But when, when it was proposed that there was going to be a sales tax in addition to the property tax that right. city and county residents pay, and, you know, St. Charles and Jeffco and Franklin County and St. Clair County and Madison County aren't going to pay the same thing. I, mm. I think that I had a, as a, as a citizen, kind of like, well, why, why aren't they paying? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to contribute tax money to the zoo because I think it's mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's going to be an issue when they put these sales tax increases for the zoo right. up for a vote, which is happening. Right. right. Yeah. And I, I think people are going to be wondering, like, why is it just on St. Louis, St. Louis County? Well, that actually leads us into... Oh, my gosh. What a segue. I segued myself. Nice. It's as if we planned it, but, dear yeah. listeners, we did not. No, we did not. Um, but, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I would say probably one of the most fundamental questions about vision of our region, right, is vision of our city vision of our region like who are we talking about when we say we right and that goes to yeah i think you know the the now 88 municipalities 89 municipalities are we down to 88 down from 91 y'all one at a time yeah (laughs) by by 20 maybe so by 2100 we may be down to 50 the death of local democracy Uh, yeah Yeah. Death by democracy because you got to vote in order right. for for your city to oh, die. Oh, death by democracy. No, I'm a good I'm, 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 I'm chapter. Just saying, in Michael's autobiography. If, if we're if we're going to be defending twenty eight wards, then we should we should be yeah. also defending ninety five or ninety six municipalities, and we should see this as a bad thing, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, More fragmentation. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm all for less wards, though. I don't know who's for. Keeping 28 it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I, I think that the the opposition about consolidating municipalities is is threefold. Um, I think that there are the wealthier, largely white municipalities mm-hmm. that don't want to cease to exist because they think they're doing just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Places like Chesterfield, Wildwood, right. Eureka, Creevecore, Kirkwood, Webster, right? right. Um, and there's just the people there there's mainly like the republican contention that they don't want the city's problems into the county right like mm. this vote in ellisville, ellisville this week which was kind of random but but then there's this the, there's this there's the one aspect of the city county merger opposition that i've always asked proponents that i don't feel like they have a, a strong answer to and that is if you for example consolidate st louis and st louis county into one city do you mm. then chip away significantly African-American political power. Because I I, yeah. I I can see right now that having like very small African-American-led municipalities is probably not the most efficient system to give African-Americans right. a strong political voice. No, it's a very efficient system for jailing for long periods of time poor African-Americans, right. though. Which has been the big contention because some of those cities which are very poor and need to rely on fine revenue to exist have been some of the worst actors of that. Right. Um, but, you know, for example, the the bill that ended up restricting the amount of fine revenue that cities right. could keep, it didn't really restrict the fine revenue of larger, largely white cities that are still arresting a lot of well, right. uh, only people of all colors. Relegated to traffic violations. Right. Yeah. So exactly. like any nuisance violations right. or anything building like code. That. Yeah, yeah. Building yeah. codes. Because, right. be because, whatever because even if they percentage. like have like a million or two million dollars of fine revenue, they don't hit the twelve point five percent cap. Right. But those those poor African American run cities in North County mm-hmm. do because right. they don't have any other revenue to differentiate the percentage. Right. I, I, I certainly understand the argument that, you know, a lot some of these cities were clearly bad actors. No one's defending Pine Lawn. Mm. Not even the African-American officials. No one's defending the behavior of them. But I'm just saying, like, 
if you get rid of a lot of those cities and they're then, uh, let's just say they just disincorporate and become part of St. Louis County, for example, mm-hmm. then a, 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 a county that is run and dominated by that aforementioned white organized labor political coalition will then be making the decisions of these largely African-American areas. I mean, that's how it is already, though, isn't it? And, like, for the most part, I mean, and some of these municipalities do have uh, quite a few black elected officials, but for the most part, it's it's a white-run county in general. So, like, Mm -hmm. it's not really that much different than it has been. Yeah. To me. I I think, though, that in, in some instances, when you have a municipality you can then have some of the, the, the more micro decisions made on a more local level, like zoning or, you know, whether you want to build like a housing development. But a lot of these right. a lot of these places obviously don't have the, the commercial mass to, to do that. So I, I think that that's an unanswered question. I think that you can make a city-county merger idea that doesn't completely dilute or decimate black political power, but I think that needs to be a primary concern of a lot of the people that are advocating. For I it. think you're right. I, yeah, yeah. I agree, I, but I also think that, we're, again, if you if you think the only representation is occurring at the representational level on the council or mm-hmm. in the city when you're reducing wards at the aldermanic level, if there isn't meaningful local political power through neighborhood organizations right. or other like more localized Engaged. unofficial extra legal sort of uh, sort of groups that exert pressure mm-hmm. you know if, if if we reduce everything to council districts and pine lawn doesn't have any like pine lawn neighborhood association mm-hmm. or our political c- culture yes um well, but but i also think that under the current systems, as as Darian said, uh, most poor and working class people haven't benefited at all right. from the fragmentation of St. Louis. In fact, they have been the ones on the short end of the stick, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't work. Some people rush to to say, you know, when these things are cut, that it's all about disenfranchised people losing representation. But right. the people who have been representing disenfranchised people in St. Louis have not held their interests to heart. No. At all, but yeah. doesn't that have, they're, they're like yeah. robbing the cities that they run? Yeah, because they were poor too, and that's why they yeah, got they on the council. Get the money, so get some money. <laughs> and, right. and, and I think that there's kind of a middle ground here from being just against getting rid right. of any small city and then yeah. just wiping them all out. I think yeah. that some, uh, especially in the 24, what's called the 241 area, uh, North right. County. So that's like the 24 small yeah. municipalities there. I, I think that they're open to merging with each other and becoming bigger municipalities. Mm-hmm. That certainly happened with Benita Park and Benita Terrace. Mm-hmm. I think that might happen more often in the next yeah. few years. I, I think that they're not like so territorial that they wouldn't be no. for doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that they're concerned that I think that they're concerned with being unincorporated St. Louis County. Because I think they also yeah. see what happened in places like Spanish Lake and other places. Right. And they, right. th- those areas have just not been well served by St. Louis County. But doesn't this also have something to do with, like, the idea that being the mayor of Vanita Terrace, as an example, I don't know what happens to the actual mayor of Vanita Terrace, that there's not a meaningful path to political power for people who are marginalized in mm-hmm. some way, right. that we haven't developed yet a system for people, even if you attain these sort of hyper-local positions of power, mm-hmm. that there's not a path out from that, right? And I would say that about the city's 28 wards, too. There's very little power within it. Right. But that's, and that's where I think that our, our political discourse needs to, really needs to validate citizen leaders mm-hmm. and not focus so much on candidates and elected officials. Yeah. As if they the hold the real power. They don't. They, never mm. have. they want to, but they really don't. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, they can if they have a majority of votes to do right. what they want. Right. And but that's not all that really matters right. in politics. It, it's certainly That's certainly true. But when it comes to passing policy that requires changing laws, that's pretty much the only thing. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why, like, I believe right now, for example, Lyda Krusen has a majority of supportive aldermen on the board mm. of aldermen. And and I actually think that there's a quite a few African American aldermen that are aligned with her right now, probably right. more than Slay, because I see supportive things from yes. people like Brandon Bosley, John Collins, Muhammad, Pam Boyd, Jeffrey Boyd, all the time. Frank Williamson is now the budget chair. I think they're all on Team Cruson right now, which I think is a. I don't know if that's an improvement from Slay. 
Slay had some African American allies, as you mentioned before, when he was uh, alderman and, and on the board of aldermen. I think that he was very much aligned with African American leaders. But I just make that mm-hmm. kind of technical point. But I agree right. with your overall point. Well, that he it's brought not the only thing. he brought Kenny Jones into city government. Oh yeah, yeah, socialist Marxist radical from wow. North City. So. Um, you know, Kristen's been very effective with the African American Caucus, and when when that bill came on the parking division that, that Boyd offered, you know, only only Terry Kennedy and Frank Williamson voted against it. So, mm-hmm. Tashara Jones doesn't seem to have as much support with the Black Alderman as Lyda Kristen. So, but I mean, I think the reason I really wanted, I, I think it's not just municipalities, though. Right. I think we often talk about this divide among municipalities, and we often forget how fragmented St. Louis is with schools. Yeah. Which I think we're mm-hmm. going to, which is kind yeah. of another segue. Uh, I'm not going to get into super specific detail, um, but I am moving out of the city pretty soon. I'm moving to Richmond Heights. Oh, to run for mayor? No, not to <laughs> run for mayor. Um, to run in four years for county executive against whoever wins this brawl between two white men who are accusing each other of not being a real Democrat? Um, <laughs> as much. As much as I would like that very lucrative and powerful job, I I want to stay in journalism. Um, I'm I'm moving there because my son needs to my my son needs special school district services. And right now, if you live in St. Louis City, I'm not trying to say that the St. Louis public schools special education services are bad or substandard because we're using them now. But the first thing that we were told um, when our doctor gave the diagnosis to our son is you need to move to the county Mm. immediately. Mm. And I was like, this should be, I'm not sure how often this happens, but from talking with politicians, this is not uncommon. Right. Mm. So my thought process was, because I've talked to a lot of elected officials about this off the cuff. I'm not going to like be a super advocate for this because I'm a journalist, but it ranges between like, oh, that's too bad. Right. And, oh, we really should do something about this. Because the, the subtext is, if you have the means and wherewithal to move to the county like I do, then you can get get into a special school district, which is renowned across the country because mm-hmm. there's so much yeah. money going into it. Right. But if you don't have that opportunity, if you're a single mother who can't afford to get out of their lease or move to a place in the county, right. mm-hmm. and you have a kid with you know that needs special education services, mm-hmm. you pretty much have to go to the city schools, which again are not necessarily bad. I'm not right. trying to. This is not going to be like a tangent against the city special education services it's just that you can you can give your child a better opportunity in the county that's not just school district by school district so before we even talk about merging cities or even merging school districts Mm. maybe it's time for a conversation about maybe st louis voting on being in the special school district which would not be painless because you would have to adopt a property tax that is not small i'm not advocating that because again I'm not. I'm not in the business of advocating, and for right. me, it doesn't matter. Like I'm moving to the county. Well, but but, but this is something yeah. that I know that I'm not the only person dealing with, and my family is not the only person dealing with. And I would say just a brief plug against our state legislature in terms of education is that you know for years, you know this kind of insane foundation formula was developed to provide funding to the schools. And when you look at federal protections for children with disabilities, they're actually pretty robust, thanks in large part to parents of disabled children who I will maintain are the best advocates in the world. Like, you want parents of disabled children on your side because they figure out how to how to move legislature. And there is school protections, right? But it requires funding and in some ways it's a mandate for districts right so if you're talking about a district like st louis public schools where there's a you know there are going to be children coming in with special education needs not just the ones that all kids have but you're talking the effects of trauma you're talking um exposure to lead you're talking about all these different things what is that district dealing with in terms of its requirements and with the burden that places on its administration and on its funding um anyways i say this all to say that the state legislature, you know, for years was underfunding this form- foundation formula until a few years ago where it was just like, let's just lower the foundation formula and say we're fully funding it. And it's like, yeah. once again, yeah, like, our, you know, you know, what is that thing? You know, the, the proverb, like, where you greet someone and you say, how are the kids doing? Like, the kids are not necessarily doing well and, right and that's why i wasn't i'm, I'm right, not, not right. wasn't trying to bash St. no of course schools not. because they're it, it's not their fault that they don't have as many resources as the county the county in 
I would say this was actually an idea of infinite wisdom, decided that it was a better idea to pool the property taxes of every person mm-hmm. in the county to make sure that if you go to any school district that you're going to get you're going to get people that work at the special school district i'm assuming that they get paid pretty well and mm-hmm. therefore that they they have longevity and institutional knowledge within mm-hmm. the, those areas I, I i haven't studied specifically about the city schools but i would assume that since they don't have a, a separate pot of money going to special education services and they have so much need of especially educating people with the people you just talked about people with trauma lead poisoning mm-hmm. um and, and all of the above like i just don't think that they 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 could possibly have the resources of the county to to mm-hmm. deal with people right. with 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 those with with you know special needs essentially and, and this and is, see, I, oh go no go ahead and see that's my that's basically the case for the merger is like right. if everybody's putting into one pot then it gets spread out over everybody in the region and so no it's not a case of the have and the have nots it's mm. like if if the region doesn't have anything then the region doesn't have anything but if the region is doing well then the region is doing well but it's not like because of the state funding and the the way that the the funds come out that parkway is getting a ton mm. of money and the special school district is getting a ton of money, but Normandy and Riverview are getting nothing because of whatever state standards that they are supposed to meet and things like that. And if, if everybody's taxes or whatever the funding structure yeah. is is going into the same pot and everybody's benefiting from that same thing, then we can only be stronger. If, if right, and this sense. is where the, the, the – I don't think the region is doing well. I mean, yeah. the interim census figures came out, and we, yeah. we slipped to 21 yeah, Baltimore's up to twenty, and St. Louis has only six hundred fifty-six people moved to the region. But then that but pressure put that, that pressure put on the people that are yeah. supposedly think they're doing well. Yeah, but it's basically artificially manufactured. Right, but but this gets to the vision question, yeah. which is why isn't the city part of the special school district, and why isn't that not part of the agenda of these so-called progressive reformers? Why are they not seeing yeah. that as an issue? Why you know yeah. with a whole host of other things that go along with it, but you know the quality of life that Jason can enjoy in the county in this situation mm-hmm. versus the city is a microcosm of other people who think that quality of life is better in Chicago or yeah. Memphis Which, or Atlanta. I will point out just very briefly that. The quality of life in specifically Maplewood Richmond Heights, which is a district that has undergone like massive changes in terms of the yes. school district funding, in large part, I would say due to the money from that Walmart, which is mm. a ton of tax money a yeah. year, and um, and some very dedicated and specific initiatives by the city. Slash, I will also say the city of Maplewood, while creating this kind of award-winning school, has also is also being sued by quite a few people for some Mm -hmm. of its practices. So it's very complicated, right? Like, I mean, that kind of localized effort and funding, what can that do to improve the city? And the fact that the Walmart and the Menards both involved mass eminent domain of low-income African-American households um, and and total clearance of that area. Right. Um, Right. That was a Walmart. That Walmart project had Richard Callow, by the way, as spokesman. Wow. So to Hello, Richard. You bring know, it, this is him gonna, into the mix. Yeah. This is going to sound her- heretical, right. but one of the most illuminating, po- uh, politically speaking, podcasts we did last year was with St. Charles County Executive Steve Elman, who mm-hmm. is a Republican, and you would probably not expect me to be praising him for for, for being progressive thinking, but he pointed out that because St. Charles could see what St. Louis County did in his view incorrectly it means that st charles only has like 13 or 14 cities and only has five school districts Mm. and he's making this argument and i'm not endorsing this argument i'm the messenger here he's basically (laughs) saying that because the school districts are large and they have more money than say a a normandy or riverview gardens which are small and primarily cover impoverished african-american areas that when there are low-income people in St. Charles, because there are, yeah, yeah. let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Everywhere. It's not, right. it's not, it's not Nirvana. They have more money. <laughs> it's far from Nirvana. <laughs> they, they have more money, and they have more, more, more. Again, the the faculty that's been there for a while to deal with it. And he also yeah. mentioned just, just kind of touching on other things that you know the St. Charles County uh, Police Department has been trained in racial diversity training mm-hmm. for many years. 
Elman has been advocating against the sort of taxation by citation cities yeah. that we mentioned too. Um, I think that he is, I mean, I sense from talking with him that he was getting perturbed that St. Charles, rightly or wrongly, kind of gets seen as this this problem and this afterthought. And maybe mm. it obviously is born of, of, of white flight. I mean, yeah. I think that's undeniable. But right. you can also point to the fact that the the African American Hispanic population there is growing as well. Right. Yeah. And Elman is well. I mean, they're being no. displaced from the city, so that's where right. they're going. Yeah. Right. El- Elman and has, they're being displaced from North County. Yeah. And so, El- yeah. That too. Yeah. Elman has been an advocate for an urban growth boundary for mm. St. Charles County as well. Yeah. If maybe more because of his conservative instincts, say that he doesn't want the price tag of bailing out floodplain development, but it's still. Far more progressive than than you know anything coming from Steve Stanger or Mark Montovani so far. So you asked like who has vision? Yeah, I, I mean I would argue that Elman. Elman has been, does. Elman has been a elected official for almost thirty or forty years. He yeah. has more institutional knowledge than either Krusen or Stanger, and I'm not just saying that as an opinion. It's 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 quantitative, and maybe you're maybe you don't want everything to be like St. Charles, obviously. But you can make a lot of arguments that they structured their government in ways that St. Louis County and to some extent the city may have should have done. But, of course, St. Charles had the luxury of seeing what those two entities did, and they could decide to go a different path. And things could change. Like, we could be right. talking, do another podcast in five years, and they may have 60 cities and 60 school districts. Yeah, so they, might, they, might, they might elect a successor to Elman who is... Tea Party, social conservative, crazy. I will say that one of those school districts is Francis Howell, right? Yes. Right? And they and turned the, down the property tax increase yeah. this week. I would say that they, you know, if anyone's ever heard that, this American Life episode oh, featuring the mm-hmm. audio. That audio the, was from, from St. Louis. I believe that audio was recorded by St. Louis Public Radio. It was. Shout out St. Louis Public Radio. I actually, I mean, I, I listened to that even though I had listened to that in 2014. Yeah. I almost cried. Yeah. I mean, it's it's visceral. It is, it is visceral. To it. And um, that's, it, it's it's hard to listen to, but it's 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 sometimes it's important to listen to to things like that. Yeah, could you fill in the listeners of what that is? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. If anyone, do you want to take it away? Uh, sure. There was a a time in, I guess, St. Louis County schools where Normandy was failing, and because it was failing, the state decided that they should join with another school district. That school district was Francis Howell. And then there was a town hall style meeting with the parents from Francis Howe about these Normandy school uh, students moving to their school district. And it basically sounded like something from the 1950s in Alabama in regard to we don't want these kids coming here. They might be bringing at the very lightest bad habits, but like crime, uh, what, teen pregnancy and Mm -hmm. some other junk that, you know. Right. has nothing to do with going to school. But, yeah. So, so I, my question following that, because that, that show was, you know, is often cited, yeah. like events in Ferguson is part of St. Louis, but it's, mm. it's outside of St. Louis mm-hmm. City. It's cr- straddling two counties separated by a river that, yeah. you know, a lot of people brag about how they never go west of Skanker. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Going back to this original question of vision, right. this is my question, I, and I don't know the answer. Elman is one, but he's he's got a very statutory limit to his vision, right? Yeah. Who is thinking on the scale that reaches from Belleville, Illinois, to Wentzville? Who's thinking on that? Because 11% of the population of this region lives in the city. Mm-hmm. So city politicians aren't going to have the answer that, re- that really binds this region together in the future. The city is very marginal in those narratives. Yeah. doesn't have the population to be as relevant. St. Charles County is about the same size as the city. Yeah. The St. Louis County is much bigger. Could be central, but who's, who's on that the, level? The, the, the problem with the county, and, I've been, and I'm about to become a county resident, but I've been covering... Watch out, con- county elected officials. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I've been covering county politics since 2011, right. and it's become very chaotic as far as, like, it's not just the Montevani-Stanger thing. Right. The, the council has basically been in this very... Uh, public war with Stanger for a while. Mm-hmm. And right. I, think I mean, it's brutal. It, I mean, it's really and it was very. And I knew it was going to happen. As right. soon as Rochelle Walton Gray beat Mike O'Meara, I'm like, Stanger doesn't have a majority on the council anymore. Right. Right. And, th- and his, his next two years are going to be like Charlie Dooley's 
last couple of years. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to lose to Montevani, mm. but it meant that he's going to have a hostile council that's going to try to make him look bad at every turn. Mm. And the consequence, I mean, it's great for journalists who cover the, the back and forth, but I do think that that gets in the way of big thinking and policymaking when you're constantly involved yeah. in these types of things. I would argue that even though there certainly are political divisions within St. Louis City that are very noticeable and vocal, I go to the Board of Aldermen meetings and, you know, they argue about ideas sometimes. They have different opinions, but I, I think that the, the, the personal stuff certainly does happen. It certainly happens on social media and elsewhere. But yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, the, the city gets cascaded all the time for being dysfunctional and, you know, chaotic. But if you look at county politics now versus city politics, right. city politics seems a lot more, more stable. Right. From And, and Krusen has a governing coalition on the board that Stanger doesn't have on the council. Yeah. And you, I remember specifically, I think you were the one that pointed out that the, the, the famed rice failure... Yeah. race of eighth ward <laughs> fame which had most of my eighth ward neighbors like how can we live through this division i think you were one of the ones that pointed out like actually it's it's like a fair amount of issues being discussed there's yeah, no. there's been worse they they did not attack each other no they oh. didn't they were they because i think they're actually aren't they next door neighbors or something or they're close that to they're them. next door but they're you they're know both, yeah. they're both been, decent people with right. high standards not all their supporters were that's what I was saying. Most of the most of the back and forth came from the surrogates of each of them, sure. and um, and most of it on Facebook, right? It's like farting media. in the wind. And I would, I mean, I lived in, I mean, <laughs> I, mean really I, I mean, up until like you know April, end of April, I, I lived in, I live in the 16th ward, and mm. the 16th ward aldermanic race between Tom Oldenburg and Michelle Kratke had actual negative mailers sent against each other. Right. Like the amount of money that was spent in that race was like I think well over a hundred thousand dollars. What? Wow. Oh, I'm not kidding. Wow. So were any of these mailers suggesting the other person was actually <laughs> pro-choice? Um, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I just got what you were saying, but my yeah. point is like, as a 16th ward resident, that's used to pretty combative politics. Mm -hmm. I saw kind of the, the, uh, complaints about negativeness in the eighth ward kind of funny because the candidates themselves weren't attacking each other. Right. And, no, and you're weren't. right. I, I, I don't know Paul very well, but, um, I know people that know him and I certainly interviewed Amy oh. Rice. They both seem right. like very high quality candidates that deserved robust support from right. their, their, right. their support. I think, I think they offered real choices to that war. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that race. No, I think I like that that's advice. the kind of race yeah. we're going to get more used to in South Side and North Side election cycles, I think. Like Hopefully. Two candidates like with strong yeah. differences mm -hmm. yeah. that are going to be very like fine grain, granular kind of differences yeah. Yeah. and very opinionated supporters of each. And I... I isn't that what we want in democracy? Yeah. Didn't we complain for years that nobody ever ran against Steve Conway, nobody ever ran against Joe Rody who had any chance? Now mm. we have a chance and we're complaining about that. I don't think we should be complaining about that. I think it's fine. I think it's good for voters to have a choice. Yeah. yeah. Especially if Jimmy yeah. Matthews is involved. <laughs> yeah. He has been the choice for a lot of different seats. I'm surprised he didn't move to the eighth and run. Yeah. That well, he's now it. running for a quarter of deeds. Do we want to spend the last 10 minutes talking about that race? No. Okay. Oh, never my mind. So God. I do, I do want to. Can I go to the dentist instead? I do. The recorder never, of deeds. Never mind. I do. Wanted speaking of upcoming races, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about our good friend. Well, who knows if she's our good friend, but I want to talk a little bit about Claire McCaskill. Yes. I will say quickly for what I'm going to say that I, the first time I ever lived in Missouri was in 2008, and I was in Warren County. And within two months of living in Warren County, I had not only met Claire McCaskill, but I had like a photo with her specifically. Why, why I, did you live in Warren County? I was working for the 2008 Obama campaign okay. up there. So, okay. So I guess it's not, again, in Claire's defense, I was working, you know, it was a campaign stop, et cetera. But I will say, you know, three months in rural Missouri, met Claire McCaskill, 10 years in St. Louis City, have not seen Claire McCaskill as much recently. Um, have yeah, not been been in a, a photo op, and so there was a you know there was a article in the Kansas City Star, I believe, yes. about um, some pressure from specific you know. So Bruce Franks kind of said, you know, I support you, but kind of where are you? I would say would be one summarization of his statements, and I think it was about kind of her efforts to get some leaders to kind of 
maybe chastise him for some his African statements. Some African-American leaders. Yeah, some black leaders yeah. to chastise him for his statements. And just basically about this kind of, then the article went on to say, you know, is there really this divide between urban support? And I think more largely, like, what is the future? What is the Senate race going to reveal about the Democratic Party in Missouri? Yeah. I'm curious about thoughts on that. Yeah, I think McCaskill is not in as strong a position as she was in 2006 when the state was more Democratic. Back then, there were large pockets of rural Missouri that were voting pretty consistently for Democratic candidates. Ever since 2010, um, Democratic bastions in rural Missouri have fully collapsed. So the, the, the way that Democrats win statewide elections in Missouri is they have to do basically three things. They need pretty high turnout in St. Louis, Kansas City, and Columbia. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes uh, those, especially in St. Louis and Kansas City, I, my colleague Joe Manis said that a quarter of that support or more is, are black voters. So that's in, co- in where in Kansas City? Just in Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, oh, the, yeah. this area. If yeah. not, if not, uh, if more, not more. Right? Yeah. Um, but then they also have to either win or come close to winning suburbs. And mm. sometimes people think suburbs is just St. Louis County and Jackson County, but it also mm. includes Jefferson County, Lincoln right. County, Platte County, Buchanan County, Clay County, and you know, holding down margins in places like St. Charles, like right. She she did not win St. Charles in 2006. She did in 12, but I don't see 12 as really the map for her. Like right. maybe Josh Hawley collapses like Todd Aiken, but you can't you can't assume that. You have to assume that he's going to be more like Jim Talent. So, so you have those two things, but then you also need to get like around 35 to 45 percent or more in some of these rural counties. Right. So so McCaskill has to kind of do that juggling act where. She's trying to walk this very narrow path, and it also means encountering voters with very different wants and needs. And I think that you, you've seen a lot of effort from her to try and do uh, one of those things, which is try to get more rural support than many Democrats do right. statewide. I think you've also seen her go to some suburban areas. I, I think that people like Representative Franks believe that they haven't done the first thing that you need to do which is right. do the outreach Show up. to and, mm. and it's not just going to st louis or kansas city it's doing outreach in the black community yeah. so that's what that's that's my sort of take on it i'd be interested to hear what others think no that's interesting uh you say that because i was just thinking about jay nixon and mm. his reputation mm. and i mean for what it's worth you know he d- i i do remember him being here a couple of times uh, being able to go see him speak. Uh, so, yeah, for, for her, she definitely needs to come here. If if a quarter of the voters in Kansas City, St. Louis, and well, Kansas City and St. Louis because there's not a big black population in Columbia uh, are black voters, then she needs to come into these areas. And just like Bruce is sort of like what we call in in, uh, in Cherokee Street neighborhoods like giving the alley oop to people that need funding for say a nonprofit um, that teaches kids art like Cherokee Street Reach. Um, he's getting that funding, and I think that if Claire McCaskill could do that sort of thing for Black communities in St. Louis and Kansas City, then that would show up a lot better than just even her being here. Like, I mean, Mm. it's good for her to be here, but, like, the support really is in knowing that there has been a disparity for a long time and trying to uh, alleviate some of the issues that come from those disparities by, you know, diverting funds to people that haven't been getting it in in, Mm. uh, historically. Yeah, and I, I think that she's playing an old book, you know, an old the, the old days of the Democratic Party and, and, right. and her voting record in the Senate is reflecting that. That she's actually seeming to make attempts to woo the Trump train voters to her mm-hmm. side, which ain't gonna happen. Uh, she was one of only two Democrats in February to vote for the Republican amendment that would deny federal funds to any sanctuary city. Mm. Yeah. How's that gonna sit with voters in St. Louis and Kansas City and Columbia? It's like Mm. And it passed 54 to 45. So her vote wasn't even crucial. It wasn't necessary. Mm. Only other senator voting from the Democratic side on that 
sometimes. I was Joe Manchin in West Virginia, who's been very pro-Trump. It's like also in kind of a contested territory. But it's like, uh, I think, you know, you look at, she's also been, uh, has like, I think the highest percentage, second highest after Manchin, I think, of uh, voting for Trump's initiatives of any Democratic senator. I don't think that's going to help. I think it's going to hurt her voter strength in these, these urban areas because you're going to have a lot of disaffected progressives. There are already people talking about we should primary her, we shouldn't vote for her. Yeah. And, and then there's the whole issue of the material benefit. What do you get for voting for a Democrat like Claire McCaskill uh, if you're an urban Democrat? Mm-hmm. I also saw... A job? Right. Some support? <laughs> yeah. A legislative help for getting the cops or the government off your back? Right. I don't think she can answer any of those things. I also saw today that uh, Josh Hawley, who is the attorney general, is opening an investigation into the Clinton Peabody, the issues there mm-hmm. in the housing projects. Well, and I thought to myself... That's an old Kit Bond move. What an Kit interesting... Kit Bond was smooth with, with Well, yeah, but I mean, also, city. like, I mean, it's, you know, I think a benefit of that position of his, right? Like, he is still mm-hmm. a, a, a statewide official in a way that is this an action he can tangibly take on behalf of people in the city that we're not seeing. Um, although um, I should be frank that I don't know the federal response. And I know that Christine yeah. and has been trying to get some help. Yeah, and I'll just, as a closing yeah. thought, I, yeah. I, I think that what is going to determine that election, I think right. this will be a factor, yeah. but if Trump's approval ratings are at 20% yeah. and if they're at like 30 or 40% here, that's going to be a bigger factor right. uh, because oftentimes national elections are heavily influenced by national environments. And there yeah. are exceptions, like McCaskill's 2012 race, where right. Romney won the state, but she ran against Todd Akin. Right. But, yeah. but, but again, you have to go into the assumption. And I think that I think her campaign team are going into the assumption this is going to be a tough race. Yeah, so I think, I think so that too. I think that Trump is going to be a big factor. But she, I, don't, I think that she is paying attention to situations like this and what Representative Franks has to say. I think... If nothing else, we can agree that that election is maybe about, you know, kind of bouncing off this national, this national mood, like you said, and not kind of our local, our local vision to stick with our theme for today, which is local vision. So um, thank you so much for to all of our guests for for being here. Um, Thank you to our audience watching via Facebook Live. Shout out to Facebook Live. Thank sure. you to whoever is scraping our third-party data now, which we all theoretically learned what that was in the last couple of weeks. So <laughs> we've all learned a lot recently, guys. Thanks for watching the news. Take it away, Steve. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Royale Political Wire. Uh, for those in the Facebook land, we will be uh, following up with another live stream very soon with the uh, interviewing Alderman Megan Green. And subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe right? on iTunes. Rate us. Tell your friends. Also, of course, subscribe to Politically Speaking. Yes. Please do. Right. <laughs> I'll be very happy if you do. I have I have rated it. <laughs> I would recommend everybody else rate it, too. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then also, just come down to the Royal and get a drink and bother us over here. Right? Yeah. We'll be here uh, probably afterwards, probably about 930 tonight. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.